0: Greetings, outcasts, free thinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first-hour episode of The Out. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon Hokey Pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! <laughs>
2: Nicholas Thompson, I'm the CEO of The Atlantic, and I will be your moderator today. We are going to have an incredible session. The star of the show is Nita Farahani. She is a futurist and legal ethicist at Duke, and she's so smart and so interesting. You're going to learn a ton. This is how it's going to work. We're going to watch a short video. She's going to come on stage and talk, and then we're going to do a little Q&A, questions from the audience, and that'll be a wrap, and you'll leave enlightened and excited. So first off, a video. Uh, It's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love.
3: Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished, your inbox is under control, and you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song, sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure, your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor. Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home jamming to the music with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year they have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. Sorry. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived.
0: Well, that was the beginning of a presentation for the World Economic Forum by quote-unquote futurist, whatever the hell that is, and legal ethicist at Duke University Nita Farahani presenting a disturbing animated vignette that was supposed to illustrate what the intrusive, surveillance-heavy, great reset version of our world will look like, as if it is not only inevitable, but indeed already engulfing us. Inevitability is a main pressure point with these people in that if they repeat it enough, eventually we will submit to it, so they think, and ultimately embrace it, although we were never consulted as to whether or not this is the world that we would choose to bring into being. I would like to believe that if the majority of the people knew about this multifaceted plan to change the direction of humanity into something more resembling a technocratic dystopia, that those people would do anything within their power to stop it. The last three years have given many a hard lesson in the ruthlessness of the world's power structures as they have shown us their cards and have allowed us to see them for who they've always been. Today's returning guest, Mark Gober, is here to talk with us about his latest book, An into the Upside-Down Reset, which talks about these very sorts of things i start off the conversation by asking mark what the origin of the great reset is
2: well in some ways it's a very deep question because it the ideology does not seem that new but what i focus on in, in my new book is uh just the origin of the great reset itself so i think in the past it's probably had other names or maybe hasn't even been named because of the, sure. the concepts are so similar mm-hmm. and i say this also because in the future it might not be called the great reset but we might say see a very similar ideology exactly uh, but But as it relates to the great reset itself as it's called uh, this was a, a an announcement made by the world economic forum which is one of the most influential bodies in the world june of 2020 so this is right after the lockdowns hit they come out and say it's time for a great reset so this was klaus schwab who's the executive director of the world economic forum alongside then prince charles and you have people like john kerry al gore saying great reset great reset so this is not a conspiracy theory. This is just a vision for society that has been put forward by an yes. influential body. Mm-hmm.
4: And they have a website and tons of books. And I mean, there's plenty of supplemental material if anybody really looks wants to look into it. it. It's strange how many people I encounter on a day-to-day basis, not that I go around proselytizing about whether people know about the Great Reset or not, but when it comes up, like people don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It sounds like a bad science fiction movie to them, but it's, it's a real thing.
2: Yeah. Well, I've gotten, let's say three reactions when I say that I wrote a book about the great reset, depending on who I talk to. Some people probably like your audience, they're familiar with it and they're familiar with the potential dangers. Yes. Then there are people who say, what's the great reset? And in many cases, these are intelligent people who are connected in the world and they don't know what it is. Yeah. And then the other group is people that have heard of it, but they don't know much about it. And they say, isn't that some kind of like right wing conspiracy theory thing? So it just depends on who you talk to. But like you say, Chris, there's there's so much on this topic. So what I mentioned was the actual origin, June, 2020, but then there was a book that came out. Klaus Schwab and his colleague Thierry Mallory wrote a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And it yes. lays out the whole thing. That was the summer of 2020. And then about a year and a half or so later, a sequel came out, The Great Narrative. So there is a clear vision here.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can't get any more blatant than that. So I want to talk about the second group of people uh, because I encounter them in my daily life too. When uh, I'm in university, so I encounter a lot of these people. Intelligent, good Meaning, good-natured folks that almost seem like, uh, I don't want to say, um, automatons or, 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 uh, what is that? Um, those players and that we talk about in video games.
4: NPCs. Yes.
1: I don't want to say they're NPCs, but they feel like it. Because when you say something like the Great Reset, there is kind of this glazed over look in their eyes. Like this is not part of their script and it does not compute. Do you think these people have maybe heard about it, but then that goes into a territory that they're not comfortable talking about because they don't have any information or data about it? Or are they robots?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Maybe there's a spectrum. I'm just (laughs) thinking about some of the people that I've talked to who I don't think are robots, The ones, these few cases. And there's a similarity in their situation, which is that they have busy lives. And maybe what they hear about the world comes from a few sources, like they trust the New York Times, they trust the narrative from CNN or MSNBC, for example. And anything outside of that narrative is crazy talk. So to those people, my book is really far out, Mm -hmm. whereas to members of your audience, I'm sure there will be things that they learn, but the concepts are things they've heard before. And I think what you're getting at, Hunter, is really fundamental. It's something I think about a lot, which is like there's this whole world of people who question the narrative and take that effort. It takes energy to do that, to basically Mm -hmm. say, is the world the way I'm being told it is? And then once you get into that world, there are lots of different rabbit holes you can go down and Mm -hmm. you discuss them on your show. But if you don't make that initial effort, which a lot of people don't, then all of this other stuff sounds completely crazy.
1: That's true. Uh, You know, I'm in a popular culture class right now, and in one of these initial discussions we had, uh, the subject of where you get your news came up, and this particular professor, said, and I'm not kidding you, he said he gets his news from u s a today,
4: <laughs> which is like the people magazine of news oh sources really. they
1: they give that out at like holiday in expresses <laughs> and this is his reliable news source and this person is at the professorial level teaching a class about popular culture,
2: oh my goodness. Exactly. They have people (laughs) well-trained.
4: Yeah. I mean, they have, it's like, it's like, um, oh, what are those called? Electronic fences for dogs. Like they have, most people know where the edge of the electronic fence is. So... They don't get any further past USA Today or CNN or New York Times or anything like that. They stay in the safe boundary of the little bubble that they want to exist in, which is the one that we're supposed to exist in. So they don't look past that. And, and they've done a really good job in the last three years of stigmatizing, as we've talked about before, the words conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. which, which conveniently covers anybody who goes anywhere out of that comfortable little bubble. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are other terms that people use. Uh, right wing, yes. bigot, racist, Hitler. And <laughs> you can just throw those terms out seemingly anytime you want to demean someone. Yes. And it's amazing to see who gets called those things when they have a history sometimes of being very liberal.
4: Yeah, and it seems like the, the biggest effect of, of that all of that name-calling is none of those names really may, mean anything. They've totally lost their charge. Like, when I hear somebody call somebody else a fascist, like, that doesn't mean anything. That just means somebody, I immediately go, somebody is highly misinformed. I don't go, <laughs> oh my God, how are they a fascist? You know, it's, yes. it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, well, but that's what you say, Chris. And there are others who will listen to that and say, wow, that person is a fascist. Yeah, exactly. 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 Well,
1: it's charged... For the deliverer, but it's not as charged for the person that that's being foisted on, because I think the people in in our realm—I mean, luckily, I haven't been—not that I would care—I haven't been called a racist or a bigot. Um, but conspiracy theorist is is a word or a, a terminology that's been bandied about just in terms of um, geoengineering and that whole discussion. So I think now geoengineering has become mainstream, and ABC News is doing pieces about it, and it's been on um, C-SPAN, and you know there's been lots of discussions about it, and Harvard's even teaching a class in geoengineering now. So now people are, like, you can have that discussion a little bit, and it's one of these things where it's like, well, it's good for us. This is this is something that's actually good for us. It's like GMOs, like GMOs are good for us. And I remember when that discussion started, I said the first thing I said is, well, if a GMO was good for us, then every company in the world would be advertising that they were using GMOs. It's the fact they don't want to do labeling that should be your red flag. Yeah. So, I think that's the thing that's interesting about Schwab and the WEF is that They've gotten to the point now where they're so willing to just expose their agenda. That should be the concern. Right. Because
2: it's always cloaked in compassion. Yes. Whatever the the proposed agenda is, they make it out to be something that's really nice. And if you don't support it, then you must not be a compassionate person. Mm -hmm. You must not be thoughtful. So it's like you can say anything you want and say, this is going to end up being good. There's so many things happening in society that are being promoted as positive when if you just think for five seconds about it, it's actually not going to be. But to do that, to take the energy to think about it in the way we're discussing requires also a a recognition of deception and a recognition that some people do not have a, a positive intent or that maybe their discernment might not be so good where they think they're doing something positive, but it's not going to have a positive effect. So, it's like the, the split in society seems to be along this line at the most general level.
1: Well, and if you've done any degree of research about military conflict and the United States government and their part in military conflict, you see that these are nefarious people who have done really terrible things historically. You know, I wonder about Schwab, and I think, does he want? Us to eat bugs because he's a reptile and reptiles like bugs? (laughs) Ask David Icke.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's very strange, the whole movement. I don't know. I mean, it feels like the world's just going crazy. And the Great Reset, because it's so comprehensive, seems to include all of the elements of the ways in which society is going crazy.
4: Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, what is the I mean, I was curious about I World Economic Forum really didn't register on, on my radar much at all. I didn't hear much about it. I didn't pay attention to its workings or what its motivations are until, obviously, the last three years. What are the origins of the World Economic Forum?
2: Mm. Well, it was founded in the early 1970s. And there are people who have gone into this deeper than I have, but apparently Klaus Schwab, who was the founder, Mm -hmm. was heavily influenced by Henry Kissinger. So there's kind of this general... If you want to call it new world order type of ideology that he was clearly exposed to, yeah. But I echo what you just said, Chris, because I I heard about Davos a lot when I was in Silicon Valley and working in the business world, and I have known people that have gone to the annual event, which is oh, wow. the World Economic Forum's event, and uh-huh. it's usually in January mm-hmm. where the world leaders get together. These are politicians, uh, people in the business world, people who are influential, mm-hmm. and the general vibe I had always heard about it was that this is just a very prestigious event. Not and it's not nothing nefarious that this is a sure. place where world leaders are going to mm-hmm. try to help the planet, and so it's like if you got to go, it's a big deal. But I never it just never registered for me. But I wasn't, I also wasn't thinking the way that I do now. And but if I was thinking that way, then I know a lot of other people around me, uh, probably think about the World Economic Forum that way too. Of mm-hmm. just this is influential people getting together, it's nothing, yeah, negative.
1: Well, and basically anyone can go there. It's just like 250 grand is kind of like the base to to get in the the door. So, I think it it's what you're saying, it's it's basically uh, designed not for the common man it's designed for people who have some degree of influence either in their community or um, in their uh, field whatever that may be so you have to think if it's not for the common man then maybe the common man is not really being considered because they're not in the room for that conversation yeah
2: Yeah, totally. It's an elitist mentality of, and in some cases, I don't think it's always nefarious. It's of, well, I have done well for myself in the world and therefore I had this obligation to do good things, but they might just be so out of touch in many cases where the things they're putting forward are not in touch with the general public. And um, I mean, I'm just trying to think back to when I, I heard about the World Economic Forum in Davos, and it's just such a, I have a different perspective on it than I do today. Oh, Yeah.
4: For sure. Well, if you had to prescribe an ideological stance for the World Economic Forum, how would you how would you describe that?
2: Hmm.
4: I mean, is there well, the, one or
2: yeah, I mean it's multifaceted. The, the ideology that I talk about in my new book, which I think parallels the Great Reset and a lot of the World Economic Forum stuff, even though someone could probably debate points here and there, is leftism is the ideology. And so Leftism, I know when I'm learning more and more is a triggering word for people. Sometimes if you say that word, like people don't <laughs> want to talk at all. Just for saying the word, and they don't even know what I mean by that. So I mean,
0: are these lefties or
4: or people on the right, conservatives that don't want to talk uh, about it?
2: Conservatives are happy to talk about it. Usually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's non- what I Conservatives get very upset. I I was surprised by that. That is one thing I've heard from people. And usually, like some people who I know who haven't even read it but they uh-huh. like saw that I'm talking about leftism. That's yes, you can't do that apparently. Yeah, exactly. And what I try to do in the book actually is take uh, give people who are left leaning and out Because left is distinct from liberal. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people would consider themselves liberal, but they wouldn't go along with some of this crazy far left stuff. And I I reference uh, the conservative Dennis Prager, who makes this distinction very often. He he runs Prager U, which is an education, like very conservative educational outlet. And they put Mm -hmm. out lots of videos. But he he says, um, along the lines of race, for example, liberals would say you shouldn't judge people based on their skin color. You shouldn't judge people based on superficial qualities whereas a leftist would say we should segregate dormitories and have separated graduations based on skin color or superficial qualities but it's in the name of anti-racism so it's this very paradoxical uh, counterintuitive thing that it's like we're, we're so caring about people who we regard as victims that we're going to do these things that are actually racist but because we're compassionate we would never call it racist that's leftism but then also with regard to things like economics and politics Um, very much what I would call authoritarian, anti-capitalistic. They want centralized power. Government's there to help. So that kind of a mindset. Whereas liberals might be more pro-government than a conservative or libertarian, but they're not going to be as socialistic as a leftist, for example. So mm-hmm. if you look at what the Great Reset's all about, they, they're they very into things like justice and inequity. They want the return of big government. They are, want to redo capitalism into something different that's not capitalism. They're mm-hmm. very concerned about climate and are willing to take away freedoms in the name of climate. And this is also something that I would, I would consider part of leftism, although you could argue you could be a leftist and not have this feature, is the metaphysical, um, which is that I regard leftism, at least in my own definition, as more atheistic, something that mm-hmm. rejects the soul, rejects sure. the metaphysical, yeah. more nihilistic. Yes. So, and that's also something that appears to be part of the great reset in terms of what they omit. It's it's not a spiritual revolution that they're pushing.
4: Yeah, not at all. It's they engage in this in the selective blindness of the self righteous. So, <laughs> I would like to word it, but yeah, it is soulless, uh, which really. I mean that's that makes it unappealing to me straight from the get-go right there. But yeah, the fact that it's almost it's like chest-beating atheism, like they're proud that they're godless, and yeah, it's very a very odd mixture. Yet some engage in like playing around with satanic imagery and uh, you know wearing occult symbols and stuff like that, even though they don't supposedly buy into that aspect of reality i find that a strange mixture too
2: yeah it's strange i guess people have different takes on satanism maybe someone who is more atheistic just sees it as sort of the alistair crowley do what thou wilt mentality of just Mm -hmm. live and be you and they don't have a theistic form of satanism or luciferianism whereas Mm -hmm. there are others who probably do and know the deeper nefariousness of even promoting something like that yes so yeah i'm I'm with you chris i don't like the the metaphysics behind this movement is concerning and for me my whole writing and personal journey started off on the spiritual side Mm -hmm. and i've been pushing for and promoting a spiritual revolution that we need and then i see the vision for society by these influential people and i don't see reading covid19 the great reset where is that in the book yeah it's not there
1: so where is progressivism in this framework
2: yeah yeah I think it really depends on how one defines progressivism. It depends on the person. Uh, I, it seems like progressives are turning into leftists in many cases where it's mm. all kind of being, it's all be, being lumped into almost leftist versus everything else. Right. If you're not a leftist, then you are a right wing, dangerous person, fascist. That seems to be the line, and that line is also heavily correlated, in my opinion, with the sources people take in, the, the information sources. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's beyond that. This is just from my personal anecdotal experience. Mm-hmm. There's a philosophical difference that prohibits them from taking in information that would contradict the worldview. Mm-hmm. Part of it might be the concern that if they were wrong then they would have to admit they were not being compassionate. And a big part of leftism, and I talk about this in the book, the psychology, the moral and political psychology, is compassion is a big part of it. So it's like people, it becomes weaponized where you you show a person with that mentality something that would evoke compassion, and they become very compassionate in that micro setting, but they don't see the global macro issues and the ways in which they will not be compassionate by supporting it. So Mm -hmm. it's like almost too much for a person like that to admit that, wait a second, Maybe I'm the person who's been a fascist in my mentality. And so there's a a psychological defense mechanism that would shut it down.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: It also seems like it leans into Marxism. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Totally. Which is also kind of an atheistic, godless world where the state is is God in effect. And yes, and everyone is forced by this elite class effectively to be the same because those elitists are playing God and they're going to determine how society should be.
1: That doesn't sound fun to me. (laughs) It doesn't. I remember
2: (laughs) when lefty
4: liberal people who I used to align myself with were very critical of all this stuff, very critical of government and big corporations and stuff like that. The same ones that they're walking lockstep to it's, an interesting little world we live in right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the term authoritarian is typically associated with the right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to someone on the left, they would use that term to describe like the people they don't like, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you just think about what the term authoritarian means, where someone is just overusing their authority and being dictatorial, that is how the left has become. And it's in the name of this elitism slash compassion or false compassion, weaponized compassion, where certain people feel like they know the truth and they have a right to impose that truth on other people.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, exactly. I know better than you do. So here you go. Here's my boot print on your face because I'm, you know, morally superior to you. Right. How did, uh, you back to the the title of the of the Klaus Schwab book that you mentioned, uh, COVID nineteen the the Great Reset. How was COVID utilized to sort of maybe quietly usher in the Great Reset and all of its uh, scheme schema?
2: My impression from not only the book, but there are also lots of articles by the World Economic Forum and lots of talks that people put out. So my overall impression is that COVID presented an opportunity to. Implement ideals that have been there for a while. It's like now we can reset the world. And Dr. Naomi Wolf, who wrote a book called The Bodies of Others, she's been very critical of the vaccine and has come has, has mm-hmm. been involved in analyzing Pfizer's documents that the courts mm-hmm. said you have to release, but Pfizer and the FDA wanted to hide for 75 years. Right. So she's been, in, she used to be a liberal and, and has been demeaned. But in any event, she wrote this book called The Bodies of Others. And I believe the term she used was that uh, the Great Reset was announced eerily early. Yeah. meaning we've got lockdowns, all of a sudden they've got a book and yep. this new movement, the Great Reset of how yes. we're going to change society. Very strange that they had something so well put together quickly, and which suggests at the very least that this is an ideology that has been there for a while and they saw an opportunity. Those who are more conspiratorial would say, well, this was part of the plan, that COVID was part of what they wanted, and then they were going to come out with the Great Reset. Yes. Um, either way, I think you, you could argue that these plans are things that they wanted for a long time. And like many influential groups throughout history, emergencies or the perception of emergencies present opportunities mm-hmm. to implement things. I mean, we saw the entire world shut down in unison. I mean, it's really a crazy thing what happened. And yeah. then they come out and say, okay, this is a good time for a great reset. And I'm sure there are people who agreed and say, yeah, the world's in yeah. big trouble. These people are really smart. And yeah, this let's use this as a good opportunity.
1: Well, there've been several dress rehearsals. Uh, you know, in uh, recent and, uh, you know, not so recent history where they've tried to do a lockdown and it just didn't stick. It just didn't work. Like they did it with Ebola. They tried to do it with H1N1. They did it with the swine flu. So, uh, you know, as far back as the 70s, they've rolled these ideas out and kind of put them into the zeitgeist to see if people would, would do it and take hold and people just weren't willing to comply. And I think a lot of what has really aided them, it's been kind of a double edged sword has been the internet because Mm. you have lots of ways to shed propaganda into, you know, the, the, stratosphere and really freak people out because you have a 24-hour news cycle on CNN you also have that same availability on the internet and so you know people were just ripe for information and if it was the wrong information then it made it very easy for people to be like well, I don't want to leave my house because this is spreading. Like, look how this is spreading all over the world and people are getting sick all over. So I would posit that there is some, uh, there, there was some definite plan that was working in concert with the whole COVID-19 insanity.
2: Yeah. Well, when it first started, there was... Just one narrative that you're allowed to talk about, the censorship was really strong in the beginning. And I mm-hmm. remember an ER doctor, maybe it was two of them, who spoke out in yes. California yes, and then censored on YouTube. And they were basically saying, look, this is not as bad as the media is yep. saying. Yep. They were not allowed to do that. And i that was when I first identified the rift in my own personal network of mm-hmm. people who were like, what are you talking about, Mark? No one's, no one's saying that it's not as severe as CNN says. And there, I realized there's this whole body of alternative media, and I also wonder the extent to which um, the prior polarization helped this process, especially during mm-hmm. the Trump presidency, exactly. where there was a whole thing about fake news and oh, yes. it's not fake news, you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Yep. So people were polarized in terms of what they were looking at, yes. and that helped. Oh, with that the totally lockdowns.
4: Set, yeah, I think that totally set the stage for it. Yeah. People were so fervently and insanely anti-Trump that anything that he said, even things that were actually true, like the fake news thing, like was immediately like you didn't even question that or you're, you know, slung every little slur that they can think of. Right wing conspiracy theorists, blah, 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 blah. We all know the rigmarole. So how does uh, how is the climate change agenda tied into all this? How are they trying to implement that and, and maybe tr- use that as a tool to further uh, clamp down on our freedoms?
2: It seems to be fundamental to the Great Reset,
4: mm-hmm.
2: the, the climate agenda, which is out in the open. And the view of some people, especially those involved in the Great Reset, is that this is an existential type issue. That we have to take care of it and it's urgent. And if we don't, then humanity's not going to survive. So that's kind of the baseline set of assumptions that many of these people have. And therefore, just like we saw with COVID, and many people in the past have made these comparisons, and I talk about it in the book. COVID and climate seem to have parallels where it's like we have a major emergency and therefore your liberties don't really matter anymore. Yes. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger
1: mm-hmm.
2: said, what do you say, like screw your freedoms? And he's uh-huh. apologized yeah. recently. But yes, that's the he mentality. Has. Uh Of like, come on, we've got an emergency here so we can shut you down. We know what's best. Listen to the experts. You're not a doctor. It's the same thing. You're not a scientist. You can't opine on climate stuff. Yes. Um, And you can only get the information about climate from authoritative sources. And I quote some of this in the book where it's like the same thing that's happening. So it's a concern because um, whereas COVID had seemingly a finite time period and that happens with illnesses where there seems to be a spike in people getting sick and then it, it, it... uh, even's high. out over time. Yeah. Climate is is ongoing, and I, I quote in my book Project Veritas, they they took an undercover video mm-hmm. of a CNN technical director. Yes, yep. and he talks about a lot of things, but one of the things he said, and I remember seeing this in 2021 because the the film was from April 2021. Mm-hmm. We were not talking about climate all over the place then. I mean, yep. some people were, but it was all COVID at the time. And right. he goes, "We've been. I've been told by the head of the network that when the public is up for it." We're going to move to climate and that one has longevity. Yeah. Yes. And this is what's happened. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, and if you go back and look again, historically, what I think a lot of this is reliant on is people's collective cultural amnesia. It's relying on the fact that a lot of people don't know history when it comes to these types of discussions. You know, if you go back and you look, At, you know, the 60s, they were saying, there's not going to be any oil in 30 years. And then it was, there's not going to be any water in 30 years. And then it was the ice caps. And it's just been this ongoing onslaught. And I think part of these uh, test runs that they do is they say, okay, well, we're going to test it out and see what it's like when we cut off people's gasoline. And there's lines around the block to try to get gasoline. Well, we're going to cut off people's food and see what happens when there's no bread or no toilet paper in the grocery store. So, again, it's this, you know, slow slog of an erosion of freedom with the idea that we are doing this to ourselves, that, that there's no one on the top that's doing this. It's all us. It's our own um, selfishness. And I think that's where the whole bug eating thing comes. It's like, oh, you're selfish if you want to eat meat. So you're going to eat bugs because you want the world to be a better place.
2: Yeah. There there seems to be an emphasis, and they say this a lot in COVID-19, the Great Reset, on overconsumption. Mm-hmm. But what is what should be baseline consumption and why should not why should human beings not flourish and this is something that comes up a lot in the climate debate alex epstein has written on about this book where he he makes the case for more fossil fuels actually but Mm -hmm. he says it's basically human the human flourishing mentality versus the anti-human mentality and what you hear in the climate debate is much more anti-human like humans are a parasite we're impacting the climate and we shouldn't be impacting it however like we wouldn't be able to live unless we impacted the, the climate Whereas we're not seeing them talk about how can we enable humans to flourish more? Yes, exactly.
4: Exactly. I remember one summer when I lived in St. Louis and there was like pollution warnings going out. They were telling people that for this weekend, you're not allowed to barbecue outside because of the pollution. It's like, wait, (laughs) Monsanto is 10 miles away from here. How about we shut them down? I bet they're producing a lot more pollution than fucking barbecues are like it was just so ridiculous but again trying to put the burden on the on the citizen the average person and not the corporations who all of this is the fault of anyway i mean whatever climate situation whatever the climate situation is if anybody is affecting it it's huge factories it's not people barbecuing in their backyards
2: yeah yeah i mean the hypocrisy is unbelievable we saw it very clearly with the the crash in ohio which mm-hmm. did Tremendous environmental damage, and we didn't hear that much talk about it relative to the damage being done. And yet, you would expect if people cared so much about the environment that you'd hear a lot more.
1: Yes, exactly. You know, I am always the head scratcher for me is uh, things like Operation Popeye that happened during the Vietnam War and this uh, mass spring chemtrailing geoengineering that they were doing in the war to extend uh monsoon season and the uh, other versions of this where people are blaming uh you know it's el nino there it's it's this weather event this weather event and not talking about the government intervening in weather worldwide so I think this is where the climate situation gets very concerning and confusing to me because if you look up, you can see nonstop spraying and then suddenly cloud cover and then suddenly rain or drops in temperature. No one in in the leftist world is looking at that and saying, oh, wow, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe HARP has something to do with it. Maybe there, there's trillions of dollars that are being invested in uh, weather modification. Maybe we should stop fucking with the weather and stop trying to to cover the sun and just let the earth go have its own natural cycles. Why do you think that there is such a chasm of uh, reality when it comes to that? Is it just because people are looking down at their phones and they're not acknowledging that? I mean, what do you, what, what are you, what's your take?
2: I think part of it is that what you just described is too hard for many people to believe. It's just not. Because if that were true, then how many other beliefs would they have to, to rethink yeah. right. their whole awesome worldview? Would change because it means that there is a level of conspiracy and secrecy on this planet that's like very uncomfortable to think about and it's also dark and a lot of people it's like a spiritual bypass too dark Mm -hmm. i don't want to look at it i just want love and light and then i think there's also this this is just my guess uh, that there's a like a psychological hit that people get Mm
1: -hmm. from
2: getting to exert their compassion
1: Mm-hmm. and say
2: yeah. look these humans are so uncompassionate they don't care about nature they're impacting the planet and I'm going to be the compassionate one to save the day so yes. they get to be a hero in a sense
4: exactly yeah
1: yeah that's when I look at the electronic car and and you see you know people driving around and they're Prius and they're feeling like they're doing something but they don't think about the mine the cadmium mine where that came from. They don't think about the child labor that's involved in that. They don't put the pieces together of if you're driving an electronic car where you're getting the electricity, Yes. what the impact of the battery is to the environment. So again, there just seems to be these massive disconnects, you know, folks on their iPhones tweeting about, you know, wokeness and... They're not se- thinking to themselves, oh, this phone I'm on was made by child labor. Right.
2: <laughs> well, how, di- how disturbing would it be for, for them <laughs> to think that, though, as someone who they would say, well, I'm so compassionate, and then they'd realize, wait, I'm not being compassionate. There's this incentive to just block it out, keep the blinders on. Yes,
4: exactly. Well, what, what was the driving factor, just to backstep a little bit, for you uh, feeling strongly about all of this? a great reset to to actually sit down and write a book about it.
2: Yeah, well, when we talked last fall, I had not started writing a book. I mean, I'm always researching things, but I didn't like have a plan to write a book on this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this the seeds were there, I guess the information, but it hadn't congealed. And what I found in my process, this started in 2016 when I had my initial paradigm shift. I learned about the reality of non-local consciousness and psychic phenomena, survival of bodily death, that there was evidence for that stuff changed my whole life. And then a year later I said, I've researched this deeply. There's something important here. Let me share it with the world, share it with more people. I don't know who's gonna read it, but I'm gonna share it. Mm-hmm. And that's been my, that been, it's been the same pattern. Um, and each time I've written a book, I always say, I don't know if I'm gonna write another book. People ask me and I say, I, I would have to have something I'm really passionate about first and I yes. have, need to have a lot of information. Uh-huh. So it's happened multiple times. And another thing that's happened throughout the course of writing these five books is that I'll write something, I write a book and then realize that there's something I didn't touch on that I feel like was really important. And I I feel a sense of responsibility when I write these books that I don't want to mislead people. Mm-hmm. So if I leave something out that's important, it's not an intentional omission, but it's something that hasn't been expanded upon. I'm like, well, I've got to, I got to clarify this for people. So I look at the books as sort of a body of work. That's just from my lens, maybe from my own, uh, sense of like feeling like I did a good enough job. And I, I didn't, my my previous four books were not sociological.
1: Mm-hmm. They,
2: they touched on the direction of society, but not in the way that this book does. Mm-hmm. Like I hadn't touched on the climate issue barely mm-hmm. at all. I mean, I mentioned it in Liberty a little bit in the context of the CNN clip, but it's, it was not a big issue. I hadn't talked about the sociocultural stuff and some of this justice equity movement. Mm-hmm. And then there were other issues that I had that I wanted to bring into it. And the great reset, is the amalgamation of all that stuff. So the pieces fit together. And I was like, I should write a book about this because a lot of people don't know about The Great Reset. And I I don't think a lot of people are aware of some of the dangers of these things that sound good on the surface. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing, Chris, that I think drove me to write it. My first two books from my lens have attracted a certain type of audience so the first one is about the idea that consciousness doesn't come from the brain an end to upside down thinking second book is an end to upside down living which is essentially about spiritual awakening and how you can set a compass for living based on that worldview. and a lot of people who i think were drawn to those books i found that i was disagreeing with them strongly when 2020 hit i'm like wait a second what is going on here because i, I share a worldview with these people but i don't so is something wrong with my metaphysics or is it just that we agree on certain things and disagree on other things? And I'm still mind boggled by this whole phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you are too. Like yes. that you could agree really strongly on certain topics, but not others. And what I realize is that there is this issue of, of good people with really good intentions who might not see the full picture and they might end up supporting things that are actually harmful. So the subtitle of this book, it's called an end to the upside down reset subtitle, uh, the leftist vision for society under the great reset. And how it can fool caring people into supporting harmful causes. And that was something I didn't, I felt like had not been covered as adequately in the other books. So, for all those reasons, I said, I've got to do it. And then once I make that decision, it's rapid fire.
4: What do you attribute? I, I still question this uh, attribute so many people being swayed by this narrative, the COVID narrative. Um, and then, Uh, gracefully going into the Great Reset narrative, whether they know it or not, Uh, being swayed by this seemingly seamless propaganda campaign. Do you think it's campaign? I don't know why. (laughs) Campaign. 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 I'm Italian all of a sudden. Uh, Let me reword that question. What do you attribute? Many people who I thought were rebels were authority questioners who, you know, would probably march in a, in a, uh, Occupy Wall Street, uh, protest, uh, suddenly seem to, to believe everything. First of all, that was on corporate news, corporate mainstream news, uh, seem to, Unquestioningly take the advice of of big pharma corporations and whatever they had to dole out, sure, I'll take it, blah blah blah. Uh, and seemingly believed everything that politicians were telling them. well, Trump, no, not so much. Biden, every single syllable, he even the syllables he hasn't uttered yet, they're they're up for it. Uh, what do you attribute that that huge, seemingly huge blind spot that seems to be present? that caused these people to just lapse into complacency. I mean, do you do you trace that back to uh, the propaganda or occult forces or what what the hell is happening here or a combination
2: of all of the above? Feels like a combination. I mean, it feels like mind control to me. Yeah. In mm-hmm. terms of the way the the results have panned out. That it's such strong programming that people seem to be unable to get away from i mean yeah. we're seeing some people move away but what i have found is that there's more polarization in some cases now that more information has come out because the people who believe that there was some kind of conspiracy or concealment of information now those people are getting validation and they're yes. saying see i was right yeah so they're feeling even more strongly about their beliefs <laughs> and then the other people who don't want to go down there that route are still stuck in the other paradigm so they're exactly. they're more strongly pushing against these people who are more strongly pushing the fact yes. that there was concealment, yep. which is driving the polarization. But your question, Chris, is is really important. Like, Why are people unable to see through it?
4: Mm-hmm. Especially the ones that seem to be the best at seeing through things. Yeah. Yeah. That's the troubling part.
2: They really trust certain authorities. Yeah. I mean, the New York Times is one good example. I mean, that is the gold standard for a lot of really smart people. Mm-hmm. If it's in the New York Times, then it's that's real. They wouldn't lead us astray. They wouldn't omit things intentionally. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people are like that with CNN too. So again, it it would be a paradigm shift to accept these things. And what I found over and over again, because my books tend to challenge paradigms, is that there are some people who are simply unwilling to go down any paradigm shift. They just Mm -hmm. are comfortable with their life. And the story I've often told is my buddy, when I wrote my first book and I showed him all the scientific evidence for the afterlife and stuff. And he said, Mark, you might be right about this, but my life is good as is, and I don't Mm -hmm. want to rock the boat. So I'm just, I'm not going to go in this direction.
1: I also think it's overwhelming, as you were saying before, I think that, you know, I, when I, I just recently did a presentation about, uh, geoengineering and weather modification, and I did a ton of research about it and there have been articles in the New York Times in the Atlantic in you know Esquire in some really really great magazines and great newspapers and you know in science you know and i think the thing that what A lot of these folks that are doing this stuff rely on, again, is this collective amnesia. If we just throw this in so much information at you, there's definitely going to be stuff that slips through the cracks. So the onus is on the average person in the public and not on these predators because they can say, well, we told you, Mm -hmm. we told you this stuff and you just ignored it. So we, you know, our karma's clean because we let you know what we were doing and you didn't really say anything about it. So clearly you're not really interested in the solution. Uh so um, I would just think that there is a level of mind control like you're saying and it seems like it is it's like constant trauma. It's being traumatized over and over and over again, where you just get to this point where you become maybe desensitized to what's happening because there's so much being thrown at you. Do you think that there's some of that that's happening? Because I do believe that there is a collective unconscious where we are all connected and we're all feeling something's going on It's just, how much can I focus on in the day?
2: Yeah, I do think that's a part of it. And some people just want to blog out the news altogether. They'll see the headlines on their iPhone that Apple News selects for them. And that's their view of the world. So really, in order to figure out what's going on in the world, it requires being a detective to some degree. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you, Hunter. If you look at a lot of mainstream sources, you can find evidence for all this stuff that others would call conspiracy. They've written articles, but it's just in a, a sea of other things that you would have to pick it out. So another reason, back to your question, your question Chris, of why I wanted to write this book, and all mm-hmm. my books really are similar in this way, is that I wanted to put the pieces together all in one place Yes. of these ideas that are disparate. But if you put it all together, wow, there's a narrative here. And if you haven't exactly. been following it, it would sound radical, mm-hmm. but um, it's there.
4: Yeah, and that's what I like about your books too, is that you're excellent at pulling a lot of things together and putting a nice, neat little bow on it. And it's kind of un, like, what do you do with that? There's no way to hedge out of all of these facts that you're laying out uh, in these books, which are very easy to read. You would think by describing them that they would be dry, but they are very, uh, there's a lot of life in them and they're they're fun to read and they're very, very informative. So yeah, I think you do a great job with that. I think I could, you know, hand that one of your books over to somebody who maybe, I wouldn't ever have a directly have a conversation out of the blue about something like that and go, Hey, if you, you since you brought that up, you, check this out. And I, I feel like it wouldn't scare them away.
2: It okay. Would, thank, yeah. thank you. That's, yeah. that was one of my hopes actually, is that people who already kind of see through things would have friends who might be on the fence. They might not be extreme leftists mm-hmm. and they would be open to something. I wanted to present it in that way because the great reset has been written about. There are a number of other books, but I tried to keep it, strictly to the things that i could say factually Mm -hmm. i didn't draw too many inferences beyond what the great what the great reset talks about and what the wef says
1: Mm -hmm. are you still in the san francisco area
2: no i actually moved out um during the lockdown period i had left my job right before the lockdown so that was Uh very synchronistic Mm -hmm. um so i I am nomadic at the moment. I don't know where I'm going to be full-time. Uh-huh.
1: The reason I was asking is uh, San Francisco has been in the news recently. They they closed the Whole Foods <laughs> <laughs> in San Francisco because there's so much crime happening Jeez, there. Uh, and I found it interesting because the mayor of San Francisco, who was really pushing during, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter debacle, really pushing to defund the police. And then she went in, you know, at a press conference and said, I've been screaming for police and asking for police. So I think to some degree, what's happening, you know, in these large pockets around the United States, in these big cities with tremendous amounts of homeless people, uh, the fentanyl, Uh, crisis that's going on right now. The drug rates are skyrocketing right now, I think this is part of the agenda of the Great Reset, because what it's doing is it's saying, if you live in these communities, and you see this going on, you're saying, we need intervention, we need someone to come in and fix this. So if someone like Schwab says he's got the answer, like, whether it be cryptocurrency, or Bitcoin, or uh, digital currency, something, you know, housing for people that ends up being like an internment camp i think there's people who are in these uh, metropolitan areas that are like yes <laughs> help us yeah. get out of this situation
4: like a series of manufactured crises mm. in order to make life generally to lower lower the morale of society and just make people apathetic and go what the, you know that's hopeless <laughs> this you know so then klaus and his boys come in and is. Yuval Harari and all the other soulless ghouls come in with their plan. And then it sounds like a really good idea compared to how shitty that they made life at this, up until this point, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The bar is set so low that a relative improvement might be, might sound beneficial, but relative to where it should be, it's still horrible.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Like a cubicle where I don't have any windows, but yet I get money from the government and free food. Huh. free bugs free bugs yes <laughs> bug burgers
2: all mm. the bugs you can eat right <laughs> you're saving the climate you get to be a hero exactly
4: exactly i wish that i would have compiled a bunch of video clips to play during this interview cuz i could i'm thinking of a lot of them right now like the nicole kidman commercial of her eating the bugs have you ever seen that yes, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah the yuval harari Um, but there's several soul chilling sound bites of him out on the internet my lord Have you, are you familiar with much of his stuff? Oh, yes. I've
2: seen his stuff. I mean, I think he's a smart guy, but Uh he is painting a dystopia very clearly. And he's a close confidant of the World Economic Forum. And he's even said the idea that the human beings have a spirit or soul that's over. Yeah. So Mm. this atheistic perspective that's being thrown on us.
4: Atheistic and, and and hopeless. Like he paints a picture where it's just it just sounds like a, the most dystopic science fiction story I've ever heard. But he he just blatantly comes out and he's not even trying to dress it up and make it sound sparkly or anything. It's just very bleak. Like and people yeah, I, just nod their heads. Whoever he the, is interviewing him at the time, nod you know, like uh, I don't know whether they're thinking like this guy's brilliant or how do I get out of the room without being too obvious? Like-
2: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking back to my mindset, let's say pre-2016, when I mm-hmm. was agnostic, atheistic, I didn't believe in anything spiritual. That kind of a mentality lends itself to the way Harari talks. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's got that basic world, basic metaphysics. And from that, he think views humans as hackable animals, for example. Yes. because. We're just a sack of meat, basically. That's all it is, and there's no meaning, so we've gotta control people. So I understand, I could probably trace the psychology back because I wasn't far from it, and that leads me to believe there are people who listen to him and do nod their heads and say, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta do this, and transhumanism and all that stuff, that's a really good thing. I think that having a spiritual perspective puts a different spin on all of this stuff, and you look at it from a higher perspective, uh, from a higher lens, I think. Yeah. It's like, wait, actually, human beings do have a purpose. We're not here just to be, like put in a cubicle there there's more for us to do and like things that we need to be doing on a cosmic scale yeah. which makes the things he says very disturbing
4: exactly no 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 hopes of any inner happiness or striving to be a better person or anything like that it's all based in the most uh banal materialism reductionism than 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 you could dream of it's just yeah, it's, it's it sounds creepy as shit to me. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with it.
1: So, where do you think, where do you think that this is going in terms of a political lens or a, a political sphere? Where do you think we are headed? If you had a crystal ball and you could say, okay, an election is coming up in a little bit over a year, this is who I think is going to win the presidency, Mm. and this is the direction I think we're going to go. Do you think Mm. that these bad actors are winning? Are they losing? Where are we at right now?
2: I feel as though we are in the midst of the great reset. So I don't think this is a far out vision. Maybe Mm -hmm. as an ultimate goal, we haven't gotten to the, the, the final version, but we're in the midst of a great reset for sure. Like we're moving toward all the things that they're talking about. Um, in terms of elections, that would be, in theory, if you had candidates with high integrity, a way to push back against a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't feel like I know enough about the way our election system actually works to know if it's possible for someone who's going to push back to make it into office, or it's if it will be rigged, yeah. right? If it'll be rigged against those people, so that's a concern. But still, in the election process, a lot of truths can be released because they're going to have to. The media is going to have to show certain candidates on mm-hmm. TV. They're they're not going to be able to avoid it. I mean, I know with Trump, they really tried to, anytime he gives a talk, they'll show just five minute clips and then they'll quickly sh- move if away that, because they yeah. don't want to hear him saying anything accurate. Yes, They don't exactly. want to show that. So I would imagine like RFK Jr., he's probably going to drop some truth bombs or things mm-hmm. that the media doesn't want people to consider and that's probably a positive and to the extent there are other people like him in the race uh vivek ramaswamy yes. who wrote woke inc and is very uh-huh. against a lot of what's happening yeah. he's saying some good things so that the election cycle could be positive in that yeah. regard at I- least fun
4: Fun it to watch. Fun.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think there's some characters involved for sure. And that's yeah. a good thing. And I think the more information that gets out, the better, because the number of people pushing the Great Reset seems to be very small relative to the global population. So it's sort of like, how much are people going to say no versus comply? Mm-hmm. And therefore, this battle of information and knowledge is going to be really important. Um, but I do worry that these influential bodies are going to put people into power, the, the people that they want. Yeah. And then what happens? Let's say that happens in 24, where it's basically a a WEF associate who is running the country or other major countries around the world. That happens over the next few years. Then it's on the people to make the decision. So I've continued to wonder whether we're going to end up in parallel type societies where Mm -hmm. uh, some people go along with the agenda and they want to, and other people just say no. And they start to form their own communities and uh, because I, I see it as it's becoming harder and harder to live under the same roof mm-hmm. because right. people have fundamentally different, different worldviews where I'll look at something and say, that thing is very good and beneficial. Another person will say, no, that's evil. You're crazy. You can't mm-hmm. really relate anymore. And that seems to be happening. So I do wonder if we're going to have divisions in some way.
0: Well,
4: Mark, uh, if you would tell the listeners where they can find you and your work online, that would be fantastic
2: sure my website is a good place to start it's markgober.com, m-a-r-k-g-o-b-e-r.com i have five books out they are all available on amazon in hard copy kindle and audible i have a podcast series it was produced in 2019 but it's still relevant it's about consciousness it's called where is my mind and Mm. i'm on social media as mark gober author
4: cool fantastic we'll have uh, all of those links in the episode notes once again, thank you for coming and uh, spending the time to chat with us, Mark. It was fantastic.
2: Well, thank you so much, Chris and Hunter, for having me back. I really Absolutely. enjoy speaking with you. I don't yeah. get to have these kinds of conversations. I do in interviews, but just in my life, I really I, uh-huh. I don't have this kind of conversation. So I really yeah. enjoy yeah. speaking with you too, and I'm very appreciative of all your work. Cool.
1: Thank, thank you, you, so you so much. much. And please reach out to us just to chat because... We absolutely love you and love what you're doing and support you. And uh, if you get a chance to put us on Dr. Edith's radar, that would be fantastic. Oh yeah, we would absolutely.
2: Love it. I will. I will shoot her a note for cool. sure tonight. Fantastic.
1: All right. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. All right, no, no Mark. No problem.
4: Take care, and I will let you know when this uh, episode goes live.
1: Okay, and I will share it. All right. We're sending All you right. many blessings. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sending it back. Thank you again. Yeah. Thanks. Take care, brother. Take care. Bye bye.
4: Always a great way to start. I always battle.
1: have to start with a yawn. Uh, I'm oxygenating my my breath, my my body. Oh, I I'm having issues with my. Never mind. Hi, hi guys. Hi. <laughs> oh, you're here. Hello. <laughs> Uh well that was amazing as usual. Mm-hmm. We love Mark. He's incredible. He's doing some really 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 great work and he's a a fantastic person to have on the case when it comes to um doing research and finding out uh you know different pieces of the puzzle and putting them together and as I said at the end of the interview, and doing it in a very concise way. That's what I really love about his work.
0: Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, it's very graspable. Um, As I said, very easy to read, although I've never read one of his books. I've had him read them to me because I have listened to the audiobooks um but yeah packed full of information and uh all very pertinent information and I was very excited when uh I saw that he had this book out and that it was all about the great reset um because that's something obviously that we've talked a lot about uh on the show so I was anxious and excited to hear Mark's take on it because I know that he would uh, be able to um, analyze it in his way, which is, as I've said, very comprehensive. And yeah, that's not the book, but here's that's
1: me shamelessly p- plugging one of his books,
4: one of his old books, two books ago. Yeah, but it's damn book, good. It's a book good ago. one. It's yeah. a
1: good one. The end yeah. of the two upside down contact. This is about. Uh, UFOs, Aliens, and Spirits, and Why Their Ongoing Interaction with Human Civilization Matters. I highly recommend this book. Yeah. I've read this book. We've got a whole episode about that. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, this is what his books look like. This is what you should be looking for when Pages, you go... Pages,
4: cover, numbers. Well, there's his
1: name right there.
4: Anyway, so it was good to have Mark back. Yeah. Good excuse to have Mark back to talk about such a subject and... um I also feel like I enjoy our conversations because, you know, there are a few people in our vicinity which we can talk about stuff like this with, but we just don't see them all that often. So it's good to to have these conversations with somebody who doesn't think that we're crazy.
1: Yeah. I, I, uh, I think my level of giving a shit has diminished greatly when it comes to that in terms of my daily life. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I did, there was a period of, of time where I really felt like it was my job and my duty to wake people up and tell as many people as I possibly could. And, you know, just about lots of different subjects and I think I just got to the point where I realized how much energy I was putting out and what I was receiving was a lot of negativity and it didn't serve me. It just made me really depressed because I felt like I was the only person who was watching a very slow train wreck and what has been so magnificent about being with you, Chris, and doing this podcast, uh, obviously being with you first and the podcast as, you know, something farther down the rung uh, is that we are able to communicate privately about the things that matter to us. And we're able to share these conversations with our guests And then in turn, we are able to take those conversations and put them out into the ether. And I like what Mark said is that there's something about doing that where we have no idea the effect or the influence that may have in the immediate or in the long term. You know, some person may come, you know, just by happenstance and find our podcast 10 years down the line. 15 years down the line, 50 years down the line, and it may have some fantastic influence on them. Hopefully a positive influence. (laughs) Whereas
4: I'm in the, I'm the opposite. Uh, I do not, I have not ever uh, desired to put myself in a place or a position to wake people up because I detest, I highly detest being proselytized by people So I never, ever want to put myself in a position where I could be perceived as doing the same thing. Like I know a secret and you should know it too, and it will improve your life because it's the best secret in the world. Um, So this forum is good for me in the sense that I can still get all that stuff out and talk about things that I feel are important now with the one that I love and um, our guests and... People come at, under the their own free will and, and gather here to listen uh, because they want to, which is a lot different than just going, hey, 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 have you heard about Jehovah? Um, to, you know, going from door to door, uh, which I would never do. So, yes. So this is perfect for me. I, I get to talk about things that really matter uh, with you and all the wonderful people that we have on, and then people can lean in and listen uh, if they feel that that's appropriate for their for their journey for their life.
1: I think I felt a sense of urgency. Yeah, for, I understand that. Oh, I don't know, forty two years. And the number <laughs> changes all the time. Forty plus years, because I think about like when I was little, like really little, and I had this anxiety and I had a mother that was telling me about the CIA and projects and government mind control and propaganda. So this has been my whole life that, that I've been in this, in this dialogue. I think, uh, the urgency really got ramped up with Smith Munt. I think that's when I started to say like, Hey, (laughs) this is not like, now this is really serious. This is really happening uh you know on a an, on a greater scale, and it's only gonna get worse and I think that I felt a responsibility because of the way that I was raised and because of the information that I had from childhood um but there's a, there's some myth, and I always forget the name of the the uh woman in the myth where she has all this knowledge she's given ultimate knowledge, but the snag is that no one believes her. Mm -hmm. Oh,
4: Cassandra Complex. Yes.
1: And I felt that my whole life. Like I knew all this stuff, and it wasn't that no one believed me. It was very few people believed me. And what's amazing to me is that I see someone like Mark, and I, I think to myself, now this is the type of person who... I would have seen in a bar 25 years ago and he would have been having a drink with his friends and it would have been after a day at a corporate job and they would have been talking about, you know, 401ks or whatever the thing that guys in the corporate world talk about, they would have been having that conversation and there would have been no shred of conspiracy or um, underworld or undercurrent of anything other than very basic um, business type stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to see someone like him have this huge paradigm shift and his own awakening is massive because it does give me hope that nothing is solidified that that people have the opportunity and the capability of changing and it does have nothing to do with what I am doing with them directly. It can be a frequency and energy shift that's happening that they are picking up on. Uh could be the hundredth monkey syndrome. It could be lots of different things. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I'm reminded of a story it may not be appropriate to bring up at this particular time because it only reminds me of it in dynamic. But when my friend Jeff and I were driving from St. Charles to Arizona, I had a beta video camera with me and we kind of shot our on-road antics and you know, would stop at junkyards and shoot footage, and just having a blast and having mm. fun. And I had seven different colored hair, and oh. we were dressed all wackily, and and our car looked like a, a a moving museum of oddities, and including my dog that was traveling with us. And um, so anyway, we get to Arizona, live there for a few months. I move on left the camera and the videotapes behind somebody who was a friend of the group of people that I met in Arizona and hung out with. They were really sweet and wonderful people. Uh, He was very straight laced. Uh, I think I, as I was leaving, he was drifting into town and I saw him. He seemed like a very, very wholesome person, a very nice, straight-laced guy, but very earnest, very, like I could tell he was a good person, but mm-hmm. he felt a little out of his element being around us because we were all kind of freaky and stuff like that. Um, and then, geez, I don't know how long it was after that, maybe six months after that, I received where I was, I think it was back at my parents' basement for the 17th time, Um a very heartfelt letter from this guy who wrote saying that he, after hanging out with all those people and watching all the videotapes that Jeff and I shot, it really moved him. It, it, it somehow exposed him to a different way of, of being a different way of existing in the world. Uh, and it, he attributed it to opening his mind up and then he decided to to have his first LSD trip and, and things just got more and more interesting for him in a very positive way. So it's, it was interesting that he took the time to write this really heartfelt letter, you know, basically thanking me for leaving those little artifacts for him because it then opened him up. I don't know. That's just what it made me think of um, it probably doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what we were talking about, but change seeds, planting somebody who was once straight lace yeah. blossoms into something else. Yeah. It all ties in, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I, I really appreciate his leaning toward uh, the metaphysical and yeah. asking these extremely thought provoking questions and, you know, not just taking things, um, on one level, like being able to see things that are, that are Mm multi-layered. I, I find that incredible because I think that's so necessary. It's easy to, you know, go into the Freudian world and say, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sure. And sometimes it's not just a cigar. Sure
4: and i think he's very lucid in his um ethical altruism like he's his his motivations are pure he just wants yeah. to get to the heart of the matter and the truth and uh he delivers it uh with flying colors about about topics that are very nuanced and often very difficult and often very uh stigmatized in in this day and age
1: yeah, he gives a shit, and that's a really great quality, is that he cares, because it would be really easy, even if you were in the the space of uh, the alternative media, it would be really easy to kind of have that as your night gig, and go back into the corporate world, and yeah. just kind of shut down, and... I'm not saying he will never do that. I think there's value in that too. I think there's lots of different ways to approach the world. And um, I think this is what I'm learning. The deeper I get into psychology is how to be fluid and how to understand that some people take four steps forward and they take three back or or versa versa, you know, and it's really up to us um to be empathetic to that and understand that not everyone's journey is in a straight line and straightforward because ours isn't straightforward and we are constantly growing and learning and stumbling it's amazing
4: absolutely well that that seems like a good place to put a bow on it put a pin in it that's a that's putting a Something aside to talk about later, so that's not really an appropriate uh, colloquialism. But
1: Well, it's the through line. We're putting a pin in it because this is an ongoing conversation in, in our life.
4: Lives. Yes. We're going to be multiple lives.
1: That's what I agreed to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right.
4: Our dear listeners uh, and patrons and everything in between. Thank you so much for listening and getting this far. Um, hopefully, you gleaned something positive from it, and it got your brain gears working, and your mind expanding, and your heart uh, unfolding, unfurling. Um, if you would like to get a hold of us to suggest guests, we take we're always open to suggestions as far as that's concerned. You can email us. At, Emails. I just, that's a contraction of several words. There, email us at the Melt Podcast at protonmail dot com,
1: and or, keep your emails coming. I'm loving them. I'm, I love to hear from everyone. You can reach me at hunter hyphen muse at protonmail dot com. If it takes a couple of days, a week for me to get back to you, know that. I will get back to you.
4: Don't take it personally. Both of us have little wiggle room in our lives, unfortunately, as they are right now. So it is not personal at all. So just know that.
1: Now we are working, working, working. Chris works a full-time job. I have myriad things that I'm doing right now in school, research projects, on and on and on. But we love you. Be patient with us. We're here with you in this journey, and it is fucking awesome. And I just thank you so much for everything that you do for and with us. Just even your thoughts, your good thoughts that you send us are really, really brilliant. And I want to send a special thank you to our Patreon. Patron? Patron. <laughs> why am I that's such a weird word for me. I don't know why. It is, yeah. Which um, one do you use? I got a really sweet, beautiful email from our patron Marty and I just want to thank you very much for your kind words, for what you said, uh for your contribution. It's really yes. wonderful that you are so gracious and so uh generous with us because she, I haven't shared this email with you, but she said she wants to help our family and help us oh. put us in a situation where Chris can do this full-time. Oh, man. That's... And, and she's been so generous, and I just want to thank you for that personally because it's amazing.
4: My goal is to, by the time that Hunter gets into a place where she is practicing professionally, that I will have this in a place where this will be my full-time endeavor because I would, I can't think of anything that I'd like to do more than throw myself into this podcast because I'd actually like to do a lot more. I'd like to actually make documentaries again. I've made documentaries in the past. I love doing it. There's so much rich subject matter to do visuals to uh, with the guests that we talk about and the subjects that we talk about. I would love to do that. Um, and make the episodes even better, and more of them uh, have time to read every single chapter of every book that I have guests on or that we have guests on to talk with, so yeah, I mean that's that's where my intention is heading, um, and my goal is drawing me towards so
1: that's right, and people like Marty are helping us get there for sure, so we thank you very much. We send you love and blessings, and uh Stay tuned for more.
4: Absolutely. Great, great stuff coming. Yep. You'll love it. Ta-ta.
1: Meow.
0: To hear the full-length version of this episode, get access to exclusive and early episodes, and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month, just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate, or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions. In a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse, These also go a long way. Thank you.